0: following content is a pie cloud network yeah. production hey,
1: oh. what it do listeners today is Monday December 4th 2017 and I would like to welcome you to this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and the mad Mike sports talk show listeners as always the show ears every Monday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple podcast Google Play and tune in soundcloud and of course at lloydathompson.com so be sure to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss a damn thing you can catch previous airings of the show and as always if you have any questions that you like to be aired and answered by me and a mad mike you can shoot them through email to lloyd at partmyfresh.com or you can send them directly through the website. Also, we're on social media, listeners. At Lloyd A. Thompson One Word on Twitter and at Lloyd A. Thompson One Word on Instagram. So be sure to hit that follow button. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. It's always, listeners, exciting show for you today. Aaron Boone, hero of the 2003 ALCS, will be the Yankees. New manager, we have our sports guru, Joe Rivera, columnist from the Sporting Moves, calling in to give us his information and his insight as to if he's okay with that hire and what this means for the Yankees. The Jets actually keep their playoff hopes alive by beating the Kansas City Chiefs at MetLife Stadium. We'll touch up on that as well. The New York Giants. Bench, their two-time winning Super Bowl quarterback, Eli Manning, was it the right decision? I think it was, but it was done the wrong way, so we'll get up on that as well. We'll talk about some mix, we'll talk about some other things. So as always, guys, let's buckle up, sit back and relax, and start spreading the news. Hey, yo,
0: let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, like we always do at this time, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports with Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. Let's go, fellas.
1: What's going on, listeners? As always, we got to find out where the Mad Mike is
2: and where he's calling
1: from today. Yo, Mad Mike, where you
2: at today, baby? What's going on, Lloyd? I'm actually in the uh, NBA Players Union building in, in Manhattan so today. I had a couple questions I wanted to find out on some players.
1: Listen, man, one thing is for sure, man. You are all over the United States of America. There's no two ways about that. So, you know, keep on doing your thing, man. But And the introduction, listeners, we got our baseball guru, Joe Rivera, columnist from the Sporting News. Joe, what's going on, brother? How you feeling? Lloyd, Mike, how you guys doing? I'm doing well. Hey man, as always, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to call in and give us some of your insight and expertise. So, breaking news is that the New York Yankees hired the manager, uh, Aaron Boone. Now, Aaron Boone is a name that you have brought up. It's a name that we discussed. But at the end of the day, I had a feeling they was going to choose somebody that I wasn't even going to be happy with. So I want you to set some light on this and make me okay with them hiring Aaron Boone.
3: (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, I
1: think I think it's a good hire for a lot of reasons, right?
3: Aaron Boone, number one, he's not a big personality. And I think that helps, especially with the young team. You don't want a manager that's going to flaunt a lot of personality. That's going to be in headlines. And I think that the Aaron Boone is the right reason for that, um, for the hire there. And I think part of it, too, is he's very analytical. He's very forward-thinking. He obviously has the big Yankee moment with the 2003 ALCS home run. Um, which uh, absolutely helps his case. I don't think there's much of a debate um, there. Yeah, I think I think he's a good hire. He's obviously a very smart baseball mind. You always hear people saying baseball runs in his blood. Brother Brett obviously played, his dad managed. So I think I think it's a really smart hire. And when you look at some of the other candidates, none of them were exactly sexy names, but
1: that's a good thing because that's what the Yankees need. Now no no joke. I'm sorry, Get yeah, man, Mike.
2: I was going to say Joe mentioning that home run one of the reasons I thought that this was was a home run of a, of a hiring is because if anybody knows how to deal with the expectations uh you know following something like like the home run Aaron Boone hit Uh, it would be him helping, you know, possibly Aaron Judge live up to all the hype that's going to be following him next season, maybe Gary Sanchez, or just the hype in general and expectations of this team going forward. Uh, I think that, you know, what do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I think it's a big, and uh, again, it's a big point. I think when the Yankees were looking at candidates, they wanted guys that that would have a connection with the fans in, in some aspects. That's why they gave Beltran an interview. That's why Hensley Mullins was there. The Yankee connection is there. I think Boone was the guy because people remember him for that home run. I think that's a big part of it, and that's not a knock on him because he's still a smart baseball guy. If you watch a lot of the Sunday night baseball things, the guy knows what he's talking about, and he's not in the clubhouse, but he's managing in his head, and that makes a lot of – and it, the hire makes sense for that reason. Uh, and I think, yeah, with the Yankees, with being in New York, I think he knows how to manage those expectations.
1: Now, we keep on going back again to Boone, who's 44 years old. So he's a young guy. And, and, you know, as you said, he captivated, you know, the Bombers to the World Series in 2003 with his iconic walk-off home in Game 7 of uh, the ALCS against the Red Sox. And, you know, I'm I'm assuming he has to be the most polished of all the candidate groups. And I'm hearing reports that Cashman was intrigued by Boone, obviously who was serving as an ESPN analyst, but he had no previous managerial coaching experience but you know I'm, I'm assuming he clearly impressed the brass during his interview uh Joe yeah and I think um when you look at some of the other candidates
3: ensley Mullins obviously been the bench coach with the Giants for a while now and I think Mullins part of it was I, I read that there was some resistance to him wanting to leave San Francisco because Bruce Bochy doesn't have a lot of time left managing in baseball. He's getting up there in age, and there were some rumors that he might be stepping away within the next few years, so you would imagine the keys to the car in San Francisco would probably go to him, and he's already built a rapport there. And some of the other guys, Chris Woodward, I mean, he's been coaching for a while, uh, comes from an analytics-heavy organization with Los Angeles, but again, none of these guys really blow... they, They don't really blow you away when Eric Wedge is the manager with the most experience that the Yankees are interviewing. Um, that just shows you, You don't want to say how weak, but that just shows you the lack of experienced candidates that are really out there because um, there weren't really a lot of guys. There's not really a lot of guys out there to be, to, to manage. So yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't think the experience thing is as big of a deal as everybody makes it seem, but You know, you also don't want to say that the lack of experience is worrying, but I think Cashman knows what he's doing. I mean, he's gotten the Yankees this far. You've seen the rebuild. You've seen what they've done. So uh, I think Yankee fans should trust him a little bit with his hire.
2: Yeah, Joe, to me, I thought that the uh, lack of experience um, was by design. I think that uh, he wants to rely, uh, meaning Cashman wants to rely more heavily on his front office you know, I guess, to dictate the game plan. And he was looking, you know, at Aaron Boone as, you know, like an everyday guy, someone easy to relate to, someone that knows what he sees. Uh, you know, I think Tim Kirchin had a, a report where he highlighted how good Aaron Boone is remembering moments, not necessarily every detail, but he remembers moments, a uh, big, big... Uh, you know like big situations stick out to him and that brings me back to game two of the ALDS, where a big moment you know to us is where gary sanchez is telling joe girardi you know challenge it challenge it challenge it and he ignores him i don't think that uh you know i think that's what they were looking at somebody that's a little more easygoing um by design
3: yeah and and you know a big part of it you always hear that um you always hear that managers aren't as important in today's and in today's game, and I don't necessarily buy into that. I think that the role of the manager has evolved the same way that the way we use numbers has evolved in analytics. I think it's really important for a manager to be able to communicate with his players and to not and obviously use the numbers as as support for his team, but not necessarily use the numbers to run his team. Uh, which is something that you saw Joe Girardi do a lot of. He used the numbers to run his team as opposed to using the numbers to support his team and his managing style and all that. So I think Boone is a guy that's obviously going to communicate. He's going to see these numbers at the Yankees analytical department, which is the biggest department in Major League Baseball, by the way, um, with these numbers. And he's going to see how he can use them and how, how to properly utilize them with games in and out. And I think uh, part of it, too, is he's just a good communicator. He seems like he just seems like that everyday guy. He just seems like the average Joe that that gets players that understands. And I think a a player with, you know, he didn't have the best career, but he understands what it's like to be in a clubhouse, and he knows what it's like to just be one of those guys as opposed to being an A-Rod and being a superstar. And I think that really helps him, too.
1: Well, I know, you know, sometimes... Great ball players don't make great managers, and sometimes players that are not great or uh, don't have great careers or have decent careers make the better managers, uh, as has been proven around Major League Baseball. But what does this mean for, you know, Rob Thompson and Tony Pena and the rest of those guys? Because, you know, normally when coaches come in, sometimes they like to bring their guys in. Do you think Aaron Boone is going to leave everybody else in place, or do you think he's going to bring in some of his guys? How do you think he's going to handle that?
3: I think a guy like
1: Tony Pena
3: is incredibly important to this team now, especially when you consider Rob Thompson. You figure that he felt a little bit shafted. He spent almost 30 years with the Yankees, and then he gets the interview, he doesn't get the job. But um, he was also a holdover from the previous regime. Um, But I I think a guy like Pena really helps. He brings a little bit of fire, he brings some energy, so if he slots into that bench coach position, I think that really helps Boone out a lot. And I, I think that Boone is a guy that with his age, you mentioned he's 40, he's in his early 40s, 44, I believe. Um, he's really going to be able to grow into the world with the young players. So I think that helps, too. Uh,
2: I, also, far, no, no, I was just going to say, I also think a big key for keeping Tony Pena around is the Yankees are breaking in a lot of, uh, you know, Latin American talent through their minor leagues right now, and, and you kind of want to have somebody that understands them. I mean, there is a big cultural difference. We heard about, you know, uh, Vlad Guerrero all those years in Anaheim, and, and they never had anybody in place, you know, when he left. So I think having Tony Pena around is is key to a guy like Aaron Boone. Listen, I think
3: and I mention this all the time. When you look at Major League Baseball, right, it's unlike any other sport in which... You spend 250 days, 300 days out of the year with 25 to 40 guys with 25 to 40 different personalities. It's a grind game. You play five or six days a week. Uh, you play 15, 16 days in a row without a break at times. So, I, And I think that a manager's job, a lot of it now, is to communicate with the players because they obviously have the information to make the decisions. But knowing how to connect with your players is a big deal. Uh, at the core, this is still a human game. It's a game that's built around failure. If you're successful three out of ten times, you know that's thirty uh, percent. and then that's that's you know considered successful. So you have to know how to manage guys and and people, not just numbers and stats. And I think that's a big part of why Boone was hired
1: so so you so you you're saying that uh, I know you mentioned Bob Thompson felt kind of, you know, like he, you know, Shice did or whatever. Do you think he doesn't come back and he go and the Yankees don't bring him back? Or how do you think that handles?
3: Well, Thompson, I'm pretty sure he almost, uh, he accepted a role with the Phillies as their bench coach. So he will be, he won't be returning to the Yankees next year unless something happens. So, yeah, I think, I think Thompson's gone. The rest of the, uh, I'm pretty sure Joe Espada is gone. He went to accept the bench role position
2: elsewhere, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, no, Espada. Espada accepted the third base job in Houston, yes. by replacing Alex Cora. And Philadelphia has actually announced, uh, said that they are set to announce the hiring of Robbie Thompson this week.
3: Yeah, so I mean, you're going to see a few new guys there, and I think you're going to see some guys that that stay. A, a guy like Pena will still be there um, next year. I think the Yankees just like him too much in the way he communicates with players, and you can just tell the clubhouse absolutely loves loves Pena. So. Yeah, I think Payne is the guy that stays. You're going to see some new faces there, and you're going. To, I think you're going to see a staff that comes together that you hope that they can find that Don Zimmer type to um, to a Joe Torre, a bulldog mentality, the guy that's you know liked in the clubhouse. And I think Payne is a guy that can slot into that role pretty easily.
1: Now, you hey, know, Joe, uh, get. I'm sorry, man, Mike. Get I was
2: going to say a guy that I like um, for the staff. Uh, is Al Padrique to me personally, you know, if you're starting to promote all these kids, uh you kinda want a guy that knows, you know, them inside out and, and who they are uh individually.
3: Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Padrique didn't interview either, so it would be um it would be a natural fit for the team. You just hope that whoever they decide and this is it's serious business for the Yankees to see their triple A team um to see their triple A team succeed, so we hope that whoever they pick, if Padrique, you know, this is all hypothetical, if he were to go up to the majors, um, that whoever they would pick at A would be the right guy to see that, that ushering in of the new generation of players, younger guys coming through and not just, you know, bringing Padrique up because he has relationships with some of these guys already.
1: Now, I don't know how the whole thing works with, you know, like you said, a spotter went to the Houston Astros. I don't know how that whole thing works per se with baseball. Now, do you think he left because Givardi was gone and he felt you know, a certain kind of way that the Yankees didn't bring Givardi back? Or do you think that might, he felt there might have been an end of the line with him, with the new new manager, and he did what was best for him? How, how does that handle, or how does that work out with, with, you know, coaches, per se, like third base coaches and stuff like that?
3: I think it's it's a healthy mix of a lot of things. I think he saw a problem. We saw the writing on the wall with Girardi. He was offered a pretty good job with you know the reigning World Champs, Uh, same position, but there's stability there. Uh, He wasn't coming off of a great year as third base coach. Definitely some questionable decisions throughout the year. I mean, some that were magnified in the playoffs. That you know could either have gone one way or the other with certain sends and. Uh, knowing who's playing left field and who's playing all the outfields, all that kind of stuff. So I think it was a combination of things. Uh, maybe just a fresh start for him, maybe realizing he wasn't going to have a shot at the uh, at the managing role with the Yankees. But, yeah, I, I mean, it was. If, if you're looking at the spot, I think it was a, just a mix of different things.
1: I tell you, these guys, the Yankees, uh, you know, I'm really excited about them. I'm already looking forward to the up-and-coming season. But I'm hearing... Uh, about this Japanese pitcher Otani, if i'm saying his name correct and his his agent or his people sent the memo out to Major League Baseball to the teams asking them to make a pitch for them in their own unique way and i saw something that Brian Cashman was rappelling down a building <laughs> <laughs> making his pitch to Otani. so do you think that the Yankees are really going after him or do you think this is just a way for them to perceive to us the fans that hey look we're making an attempt. uh. You know, Do you think we're serious about it, or do you think it's just a facade that they're trying to put out to us as fans?
3: Well, uh, Otani apparently hasn't officially, according to John Hammond, but uh, has turned down the Yankees' pitch. I think that they were very, very serious about him. They had the most money to give him, but Otani apparently does not want to play in a big market, and he wants to be the star on the team, um, or at least he doesn't want another Japanese star on the team or some of the reports, which... You know, the way that Otani has kind of handled and Otani's people have kind of handled this situation has been, I guess, for lack of a better term, a little arrogant. Um, Because for however big Otani is in Japan, he's still an unknown quantity here. And he's kind of commanding the market, and he's played the market like he's going to be this megastar here. And I just think, given the history of Japanese players coming over, you've had some that have absolutely succeeded, like the Ichiro's and even the Tanaka's to a lesser extent. And you've seen other guys like the Dice case who've had good seasons but haven't been great. So Otani's just playing to the market that's in front of him, but there's certainly, like I said, I guess the best way to put it is a little bit of arrogance um, with the way that he's pitched this. And from reports that are coming out, it looks like it's going to be a West Coast team. The Mariners seem like they're in 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 the lead right now. Um, and considering the Mariners have a really rich history with Japanese players and, and the Japanese market, I think that would be a good fit for him. But yeah, it's 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 really weird situation all around. I think the Yankees were serious about him, but having to cater to a player um, that you just don't know what he's going to be and how he's going to translate to uh, Major League Baseball, I think the Yankees might be better off uh, not having signed him.
2: Hey, Joe, one report I read actually said that um, one of the reasons that Otani turned down the Yankees is because he has some interest in playing right field or or the outfield, and, and most people slot him as a right fielder because of his arm. And there is no spot in the Yankees outfield for him um, now or in the future with Aaron Judge and and hopefully Clint Frazier manning the corners. So uh, to me personally, I, I don't understand what team in the National League would sign this guy. Um, if you're going to use him as a pitcher, it'd be pretty dangerous to use him in the outfield uh, on his his rest days.
3: Yeah, and I don't think that, I don't think that's unfair. And, and like I said, this whole process with Otani has just been. I've, I mean, you've seen, you saw the posting with Dice K and with you, Darvish, and you saw the fervor then, but it's gone even further now. Um, and, and it's just confusing. I've never seen baseball bending over backwards for a guy and teams bending over backwards for a guy like they have now. Um, and again, and I'll say it again, and yeah, sure, if he could come out and he could keep, come over and he can play well and he could be great and all that stuff. But as of this moment, he is an unknown quantity. And if you're, 100% you're, correct. and if you're looking at if you're looking at the Yankees where you're going to have to shuffle pieces around um to a team that you already have the roster set, it's just not you don't want to say it's smart, but it just doesn't make a lot of uh, a lot of sense. Uh it's not really logical.
1: Well, the fact that he, you know, I didn't know that, you know, he kind of didn't want to, you know, be on another team with another oh. I thought that might have been a leg up for the Yankees that they had you know, Masahiro Tanaka and that Masui and those guys play for the Yankees. So I thought they might have had the leg up on a competition because of that. But, you know, if, if he's saying, you know, uh, all those reasons why he ch- turned the Yankees down, and you're absolutely right, you and the man Mike are absolutely right. We don't want you here then, you know.
3: Yeah, it's weird. The whole situation was just weird. It was just very, very, again, and, and I don't want to keep beating the same beating the same drum here, but it's just the whole process seemed very arrogant. You didn't see this with Darvish, and you didn't see it with Tanaka, and you didn't see it with other Japanese players, but um, given his caliber, I guess he feels like he's warranted all this attention. I, the questionnaire stuff is very strange. I mean, the pitch stuff was very strange. You're looking at LeBron when he was a free agent the first time, and this
2: guy just hasn't reached that level here yet. So it's, it's all really weird. Now, one other thing maybe you can clear up for me, because I'm, I'm not fully – Aware of how the new posting system works, but from what I saw, he's going to be treated like an international uh, free agent. But uh, I guess for a minor league contract of what three and a half million to max, and uh, from what I saw, in two years he would be a full fledged free agent. Is that something that we're doing, or Major League Baseball is doing specifically for him, or is that is that the new process where you know all of these amateur contracts are all of a sudden going to be you know I guess void and in two years, they can be full-fledged free agents.
3: Yeah, apparently that's the thing that they worked out with Major League Baseball because Otani wanted to come now, and they kind of bent the rules for him. Um, and the Players Union wasn't exactly thrilled with the way the whole thing went down, which is why they were um, giving Major League Baseball and and uh, the Japanese Baseball League um, all these ultimatums and and you know giving them deadlines and all this stuff because uh, they didn't really want to be mixed up with the controversy of him coming over and, and, making more than some guys are when that's not the way that the posting system works. So the, this is a one-time thing. Um, I'm pretty sure the posting system has to be reworked next year. If I'm not, uh, next season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it works out next year. But yeah, it's, it's again, <laughs> again, going back to this, but it's, it's very strange to see major league teams, major league baseball, uh, kind of bend the rules for this guy when he's just not, it's
1: not known what he's going to be. Now, I've seen highlights of him, and obviously, you know, I don't follow Japanese baseball That much, but we've had some great Japanese players come out of there, you know, the Matsui's and Ichiro Suzuki. I mean, is this guy up there when you talk about what, you know, all the stuff that he's doing and how he's portraying himself? Is he I mean, obviously, you know, he's an unknown quantity, but I mean, you know, obviously he has his niche over in Japan. And so did, you know, Matsui and so did Ichiro. Is he up there with those guys as far as that mystique goes in Japanese baseball or better for him to be doing this? You
3: see, it's it's a good question because the way that he's being billed, I guess you could say, is that he was the Japanese Babe Ruth. And a lot of that, part part of that was because he uh, the way he hits and the way he pitches, it's not more so the way that he hits. Um, if a team is going to sign him, it's going to be for the way he throws the ball, and I've seen his stuff, and it's pretty good. Um, and his swing, he's got a very, very nice swing, but... It, you you just never know how these guys are going to translate and if you know for me if I'm an executive and I see this guy and he says I don't necessarily want to play in a big in a in a big market that kind of raises a red flag for me um because if a guy can't handle the spotlight of a big market during the regular season then what's going to happen when he gets to the playoffs it doesn't matter what team it is so yeah I, I don't he's 23 so he didn't he doesn't have the biggest track record in Japan um, not like a guy like Matsui had, um, but you know, it's still he was obviously a very big deal in Japan. But it's it's still unseen what he's
2: going to be here, and if if he deserves the hype. Yeah, the the well, for me, Joe. Um, I, I think the one reason that I would take a chance on a guy like this is uh, with the Japanese pitchers. You know, these guys tend to to break down because they can't handle pitching every fifth day. And I guess if you're a major league team, you kind of mitigate the risk because the fact that if he does blow out his, his elbow and he's never the same pitcher again, you know, kind of like Dice K, uh, maybe he still has a big future with the bat. And that's how they're looking at it. Kind of like a Rick and kill type, but better. Um you know the one like you said though the a red flag for me is that he doesn't want to play in a big market and and I think if you're the players union, you know do you think that they have some regrets how they handled it uh being you want him to be the biggest star he can possibly be, and that's why you bend over backwards for him?
3: I just think the players union doesn't want any more issues with major league baseball because we know how vindictive both sides can be and if if in another x amount of years whenever the collective bargaining agreement is up. I mean, baseball is going to look back at this one moment and say, "Hey, well, you guys were like this." That's not something that that the players' union really wants, and the players' union also doesn't want to look to fans to be sour or, or to be colluding to keep this guy out. You know, they want him to be here, and they want the more they want him to draw more money. That's just what it comes down to, right? So, yeah, I mean. It's 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 such a sticky situation with all all sides involved. I think it was handled probably as best as it probably could. Major League Baseball didn't really drag its feet. Neither did the Japanese league, and the players' union was smart for setting an ultimatum um, to try and to try and uh, not let Otani be the biggest story when the winter meetings are coming right around the corner.
1: Now, have have any of the current Yankees uh, have, have anybody spoken out about you know if they're on board with the Aaron Boone? Hiring that you heard of. And I've also heard reports that the Yankees aren't going to rush out and get a DA. So they're going to let Matt Holiday go. And they're going to try to... They're going to use a DA spot as like a, you know, a, a position in the lineup to give Gary Sanchez a break and have him hit there. Like, what are, you, what are you hearing on those fronts?
3: I haven't seen anything from Yankee players yet, but you've seen a lot of Aaron Boone's colleagues, past and present, come out and say that he's an excellent hire. And uh, you usually, honestly... You usually don't hear a lot from people, um, friends in in baseball saying what a great hire this is. But I've seen guys all the way up and down, former players, A-Rod even said something the other day. I mean, they, they all love this hire. They seem that the Yankees have knocked it out the park. The only people that seem skeptical are Yankee fans. And as far as designated hitter goes, I think when you look at the team, and I've said this during the season, I've said after the postseason, the move that makes most sense to me, you can use it as a revolving door for DH on guys that if you want to give them a day off. But if you're going to sign a bat, I think it has to be Todd Frazier, only because this guy was here for six months, but it felt like he was here for six years. I, I spoke to him in the clubhouse. The players all love him. He's just, he's energy that the team needs. And you kind of get the feel um, after speaking speaking with him during the playoffs that he didn't want to go. And you'd hope that the Yankees can work out something with him. Now, uh, depends on the money they they want to stay under the luxury tax threshold. I know that they reached out to CC Sabathia, so it really depends how much free, what the market for Frazier is, what he's demanding, and what the Yankees are willing to give him. I think that's still the move to make. He can he can give um, he can give Greg Bird a day off at first base. He can play third base when you need him to. Uh, his power plays at Yankee Stadium. You've seen him hit some bombs, and you've seen him hit some uh little Yankee Stadium cheapy home runs out there, but I think his power plays, and I think when you stick him in a lineup that's only going to get better with all these young players around him, you're going to see him return to the form that um, he played with when he was with Cincinnati. And he's not—he's—he's he's a young veteran. Uh, you know, he's in his early 30s, so he's been around. He's played with a lot of teams. You just—I think that that would be the best move for the Yankees to make.
1: Now, before we let you go, uh, Joe, I have. You know, me and Matt Mike was discussing Glaber Torres being called up. There was reports of the Yankees uh, looking at putting him at third, and Matt Mike brought up uh, Andujar. I think that's that's the young man's name. Uh, obviously, I don't think they'll bring up Glaber Torres if he's not going to play uh, quite a bit. What do you see happening with, you know, Glaber Torres and Anduhar and, you know, Sterling Castro? Obviously, I don't think they're going to move Didi, and then you still have Chase Hetley. Um, how do you think that's going to pan out? You know, you look at this market and then there's one guy that's kind of the linchpin to all this, and that's Chase Headley,
3: right? Um, and you can even throw Castro in there too. If you trade Castro to a team that needs a second baseman, like say Milwaukee, which I think is the perfect fit, um, then you can open up that spot for Torres to play second. And then you don't have to worry about Headley at third, but, If you like the chemistry that Didi and Castro have kind of played with, and Castro was coming off one of his best years, even though it was injury-ridden as an offensive player. And yeah, I mean, his style and his approach at the plate doesn't exactly fit the team. But if you like the chemistry that that Didi and Castro have built up the middle, then you have to find a taker for Headley. And Headley's coming off a good year where his trade value could be increased, especially in the offseason where there aren't a whole lot of bats out there. So... If you trade either one of those guys, then it'll open up a spot for Torres. And I think Andrew Har, uh he's, he's the wild card in all this. I think the Yankees might use him as trade bait. Um, but at the same time, with the way he wasn't used this year, even though they brought him up and he had a hell of a debut, and then they sent him right back down, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, If Torres is their number one priority, I think. Cashman said he was going to be up there this year if he hadn't gotten hurt so i think he's going to be the guy that they're going to try and find a spot for but if Andrew har um, is on the team i think you might find him a bench spot
2: but it's it's so tough to send is Yankees he's got to find a spot to put him in hey hey joe uh speaking of the minor the minor leagues um being that the yankees you know they they did a pretty good job of accumulating uh international signing uh, uh pool money uh, do you think that falling short on Otani – uh, maybe they start target, they target some of these Braves kids that uh, were, you know, uh, the Braves were, uh, I guess, forced to to release, uh, relinquish their rights. Uh, you know, Kevin Maitan and uh, Abraham uh, Gutierrez, who is actually, um, you know, uh, he, he was a number 15 overall prospect and he's a catcher. Uh, to me, he makes kind of he kind of makes some sense because the Yankees have so much success uh, developing, you know, Latin American uh, uh, catchers, really.
3: Yeah, I don't think there's any harm. They have the money to do it, right? And if you can, what what you don't want the Yankees to do is to call up all of these players and, and build their core, but then watch them age and they have nothing in the farm system like what happened in the 2000s, right? That's the last thing that the franchise wants. So I think Cashman is going to learn from his mistakes and he's going to find a way to replenish the system, whether that's signing international free agents or maybe the implementation of an international draft or just developing and taking care of their own better and taking drafts more seriously in the future. Um, But I think you're probably going to see the Yankees make a move for some of these international guys, especially the Brave guys, because they have all that money. I think they're still behind Texas. I want to say for the second most uh, international signing pool money left. So they're going to have the money to spend. And I think it would be wise for them to do. I think that after missing out on Otani, I don't think you're going to see Brian Cashman sit on his hands and not make any more moves. So I, I definitely think that they're going to reach out to some of these guys.
1: Well, it's definitely something to look forward to. Very excited about it. And as always, Joe, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us. We have a special show coming up. Uh, we're probably gonna do it. Do it for our thirtieth uh show, and we would like for you to join us on that show. as we're gonna have some of our guests that we've had in the past, kind of join us and you know do a quick uh quick fire with those guys that have supported us so much. So you know, hopefully we can bring you back for our thirtieth, and we're gonna call that a special episode. You know, you've been a special guest and a big help to us. So you know, if we can bring you back on that. It would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, absolutely, guys. You got it. All right, guys. We're gonna take. Thanks check you again, your- Joe. Thanks a lot guys, appreciate it We're going to take a quick commercial break And be right back with more Of the Lloyd A. Thompson And Mad Mike Sports Talk Show
0: What's up ladies and gentlemen This is A.O. Aaron Omar Baker The producer for the Lloyd A. Thompson And Mad Mike Show Just want to say thank y'all for tuning in Thank y'all for listening Make sure you check out LloydAThompson.com And follow him everywhere That's Instagram, Twitter At Lloyd
1: A. Thompson That's it, let's get back to the show Back to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports talk show. There was some football played over the weekend. And the New York Jets, as I was saying, kept their playoff hopes alive, Mad Mike, with a win against the Kansas City Chiefs, who continue to go in the opposite direction. The Kansas City Chiefs are now tied with the Oakland Raiders and Chargers. For that playoff spot, and the Jets only one game behind those guys, Mad Mike, as the Jets went 38-31 in a shootout over the Chiefs at MetLife Stadium yesterday, Mad Mike.
2: Yeah, hell of a win. Hell of a win for the Jets. You know, you had the good Josh McCown show up. That that Kansas City uh that Kansas City secondary is, is absolutely horrible. Marcus Peters has all the talent in the world, but he's too temperamental, uh, in my opinion. He lets he lets the uh you know game get to him way too much. Uh Darrell Reeves just looks like an old man. He didn't want to tackle. Uh, you know, he was so scared to get beat over the top that that, that he's given, you know, five, six yards. You know, and, and, and cushion. Uh it, it was pretty interesting game, man. But uh, I, I will tell you one thing. You know, Jermaine Curse and Robbie Anderson—they showed up and they showed out yesterday. They did, uh, man. Th- these
1: get guys... <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right, man, Mike. The Jets rolled up 488 yards, and they controlled the ball for 42 minutes. And forty nine seconds, and Josh McCown was twenty six to thirty six, for three hundred and thirty one yards and one touchdown. His QBR rating was one o nine point eight. Matt, Mike, and he has seven rushes for nineteen yards with two touchdowns. You're absolutely right, and you also, you know, pointed out that Jermaine Curse nine receptions for one hundred and fifty seven yards, and Robbie Anderson, Mister, please vote me into the Pro Bowl. Eight catches for one hundred and seven yards have become quite a one-two punch for the Jets. Everyone played well on offense, you know, so they, they really had a great game on the offensive side of the ball, Matt, Mike. And what happens now? You know, real quick, and I don't want to get into this because this could be touched upon for another show, do the Jets even bring back Josh McCown and they draft no. the a quarterback to be groomed after him? Like, you know, just real quick, your thoughts on that, real quick.
2: No, no, you, you can't make the same mistake twice. Um... You, you, you brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, two years ago, and he ends up having a career year to Jets for one game short um, as he laid a dud in that final game against Buffalo. And he showed you who he was, the Jets and the fans and ownership, you know, thinking that we had a shot last year. Uh, for to get this guy $13 million, and he came back and he, he played like Ryan Fitzpatrick did. Um, I, I think Josh McCown is having a good year, but there's a reason why this guy has never won more than five games in a season. So right now, the Jets have five wins. This is his career high for wins in a season. So you know, we're talking about, all right, so we're still five and seven with him. He's having a really good year, but he's five and seven. So let's bring him back next year. After twelve no, the games Jets this year, I'm going to say seven
1: now, man. Mike,
2: I'm sorry, six, and uh, I'm sorry. Still, so so he's got a career high in wins, right? And he's still under five hundred. So, well, what are we talking about? A guy that could get to, uh, uh, he could if the Jets went out, get to nine wins. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick won ten games in his first year here. Why are we talking? It's going backwards, okay? That, that that's my take on it. It's going backwards, you know there's going to be other guys. If you want to look at a guy who's been plagued by turnovers and inconsistencies, it looks like Eli Manning will end up in Jacksonville and Blake Bortles would be out of a job. Why wouldn't you kick the tires on a guy like Blake Bortles who, who still, you know, he, he we all think that he's, he's, he's a bad quarterback and he might be, but at the same time, former overall, you know, second, third overall pick, There might be potential there. I'd rather see the Jets go after a guy like that.
1: Well, I tell you what, he's not that bad with the way Jacksonville has been playing. And, you know, it was a good thing that the Jets' offense controlled the ball as much as they did, Mike, Mike, because the defense could not stop the Chiefs at all. They gave up big plays that nearly killed the Jets. Tyreek Hill has six catches for 185 yards and two touchdowns as he was running past defensive backs and tight end Travis Kelsey had four catches for 94 yards and two touchdowns, as he had a big day as well. The Jets gave up four – their defense, man, Mike, gave up four plays of 40 yards or more in that game, 40 yards or more in that game, and that is just completely unacceptable.
2: Yeah, well, you you have to understand something, though. The Jets played underhanded – um, under man, rather, at cornerback. You know, uh, they had Justin Burris hurt. They they had some guys out. So you had uh Rashad Robinson uh playing on one side. This guy, you know, as good as they say that he might be, um, if he reaches his his potential, he's still very raw. I wasn't surprised to see Tariq Hill, the fastest player in the NFL, just run straight routes past him. You, you know, the the Jets could have uh uh shifted some, some safety help uh towards him. Um but but then you leave yourself open for Travis Kelsey. Now speaking of the Travis Kelsey he started the game really hot I mean he had like 70 yards himself 60 yards on on the first drive of the game um, but I, I I kind of uh, I kind of contribute those yards to the Jets benching you know deciding to bench uh, Darren Lee for lateness uh, he, he showed up late to a team uh, function yesterday so he was deactivated today now that's the Jets coverage uh, linebacker. Uh, so obviously his job all week in practice is, is is getting ready for Travis Kelsey. So by sitting him on game day, you know, after Saturday's practice or whatever it was, um, you know, you kind of hurt the defense because now you got other guys that are – you know, going into a role of defending and stopping Kelsey. And you saw a lot of uh, coverage breakdowns. The Jets, to, to, you know, combat that early on or later on in the game, they actually used Jamal Adams to shadow him. And you didn't see anything out of Kelsey. Maybe another 25 yards uh, through the second, second through fourth quarter. So I thought they did a really good job adjusting there.
1: Now, the Jets coaches put an emphasis on playing a complete game and finishing the fourth quarter this week. And that's what the Jets did. You know, we got to give tall Bowles, who we criticize, quite a bit some credit for keeping the Jets believing in themselves for the most part. No one thought this team would get the five wins, but that's where they, I'm sorry, nobody thought they would get the six wins, but that's where they are. On the defensive side, the Jets had some issues stopping long passes. Hey,
2: Lloyd, Lloyd, wait, they, they, they're five and seven. Okay. They have five
1: wins. All right, I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting me and I'm sorry uh listeners for giving that wrong information. So for five wins as as I just stated, you know, and and the Jets had some issues stopping long passes which was troubling, but you know, the the the, the, the most important thing is the Jets are back in this thing, believe it or not, Matt Mike, because the AFC is like the the the, the uh, NBA Eastern Conference where all the teams are just playing bad. So the Jets actually have a shot, but they can't afford to lose another game. They really can't. And outside of having to win out all their games, when you have to climb over multiple teams, that make things a lot more difficult for you. So we'll see what happens with the New York Jets, but we're going to move on to the New York Giants, Mad Mike. And the New York Giants bench their two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, Eli Manning. Now, I'm going to say Mad Mike because I want to get your take on it. And I'm going to have the listeners listen to some other opinions that was aired uh, by some other TV shows or some other sports shows. But my opinion is I thought it was the right move as we've talked about this. But I thought the Giants handled this the completely wrong way by telling Eli Man in the week of that they was going to bench him for not Davis Webb, but Geno Smith and Davis Webb. They didn't even have Davis Webb prepared at all for this transition. So the Giants completely dropped the ball with this whole thing, even though they made the right decision. Your take on that real quick, Matt, Mike, before we listen to other, uh, other shows opinions.
2: My take is the Giants handled this the completely wrong way. And like I, like I've said all week, if you tell me that they did the right thing, benching Eli, then Davis Webb is starting. But by, by starting Geno Smiths, yeah, uh, you you did the wrong thing. If Geno Smith was going to be your, your 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 guy to play, then Eli Manning, you know, it, it, Eli Manning has to start. It's, it's that simple. We know what Geno Smith is. The Jets have, have seen plenty, uh, have seen plenty of them. New York fans have seen plenty of them. And as a matter of fact, yesterday's game showed it. He has very little pocket awareness. Uh, he had a, he had two huge fumbles. You know, one in the red zone. Uh, uh, of a game you lose by seven points. So we, we know what he is. And, and the fact that that's who we saw instead of Eli Manning, that, I'm not even a Giant fan, and I think it was pretty disgusting.
1: It was. It was a low blow to Eli Manning again. You know, if you was going to bench Eli Manning, A, I felt that at least the organization should have kept him abreast on what's going on, told him, look, this is what we're going to do. You know, you're winding down towards the end of your career. We have a high draft pick coming up. And you want to see what we have in this kid, Davis Webb? Would you be okay with us giving him a look? Because this season is pretty much a bust, you know. And at some point, we have to move forward after you. In turn, they didn't do that. They didn't start Davis Webb, who's inactive. He wasn't even active, man, Mike. He wasn't even active. And then they benched Eli Manning for Geno Smith, who's not going to be with the team next year because Davis Webb or whoever the Giants draft, if it's a quarterback. If it is a quarterback, that quarterback is probably going to be the backup quarterback. Who knows? Eli Manning may want out of town. The Giants are a mess right now. Ben McAdoo dropped the ball. The Giants organization dropped the ball. So what we're going to do, man, Mike, is we're going to listen to... First, we're going to listen to Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman give their take on the whole Eli Manning benching. And we're also going to listen to Shannon, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless... Give their opinion on the whole situation, and we're going to come back in and chime in. And
4: I want to talk about what I want to talk about here. You got it. It is the right move to see what you have on your roster when you're hopelessly out of it and you have an aging, declining quarterback. So it is the right move to take a look at other guys. And the Giants, in fact, handled that the right way because they came to Eli and said, you still start, keep the streak going. But we want to take a look at other guys. And because Eli is such a mensch, such a stand-up guy, so honorable, he's like, no, no, we're not going to do that. For that, I'm going to sit down. And that's what created the uproar. But is it the right move to play Geno Smith? I mean, it's nice that the Giants, the last franchise to start an African-American quarterback, are finally doing it. That's nice. But Geno Smith... Geno Smith is the guy you start when you don't have a franchise quarterback. But the Giants do have a franchise quarterback, and the only reason to take a look would be because you want to see what you got in Davis Webb, who you drafted in the third round, who's a good college player, who you hope may have a future. You want to see if you want to use your high first-round draft pick this year on a quarterback. So you check Davis Webb out. And if you say, well, we don't want to get him killed behind a bad offensive line, so we'll use Geno Smith as a tackling dummy for a while... Well, for that, just sticky Eli Manning there. Why make the ch- so so? No, this is not the right move because instead of instead of Davis Webb, it's Geno Smith. That's not the right move. But Stephen A., when you are hopelessly out of the playoffs and you have an older, declining quarterback, I felt this way about Jeter at the end. I, Jeter may have cost the Yankees the playoffs last game of his career. I'm not just oh a fan. When I'm a fan of the team, I give the guy extra respect. I believe this. I talk about the cliff with Tom Brady. G- Jeter was a bad player in this final season No good Eli Manning, eventually you gotta see what else you got It's not a bad idea to check that out yeah. It's not a bad, especially when you offer him the, the, the opportunity to keep the streak alive By starting him It is a bad idea to bench him For this guy We know what Geno Smith is, Stephen A We have a big sample size He's not a franchise quarterback Eli is That is a bad idea
5: it's a disastrous move it's a wrong move all the way around and there are no if ands or buts surrounding it I don't want to hear those qualifiers this is a disgrace Ben McAdoo enjoy your time in New York City it will be over by the end of December you need to go New York doesn't want you goodbye you stink you did an awful job this year the team turned against you they quit on you you've demoralized the franchise you've embarrassed them you gotta go and I'm here to say I'm sorry to say it but Jerry Reese you should go to after a move like this, this is an abomination okay, excuse me Tish and the Mara family, you should be ashamed of yourself, to do this to this man let's be clear about this here Eli Manning a two-time Super Bowl champion, a two-time Super Bowl MVP. All of a sudden, he's aged in dog years and can't get it done. Oh, I'm sorry. Can somebody tell me one quarterback that can be successful? No wide receivers, no running game, no offensive line. Who is the quarterback? Who can produce under those circumstances. Aaron
4: Rodgers. No, That's it. not
5: even him. No. Not even him. Excuse me, there was Jordy Nelson, there's Randall Cobb, there's Devontae Adams. He's had weapons. Now, he's a bad man, and Eli doesn't even compare to the great Aaron Rodgers. Don't get me wrong, but in the same breath, offensive line was relatively decent. Devoid of a running game, you still had a passing game. By the way, he was a mobile quarterback. If you are Eli Manning, we all know snails can run faster than him, so we clearly understand that he's not the most mobile dude in the world. But the flip side to it is this. Again, I'm going to be rhetorical and repetitive here. No offensive line for years. No running game for years. And your wideouts are all out. Brandon Marshall, Odell Beckham Jr. gone. And so when you look at it from that perspective, what did you give him to work with and you're going to throw him under the bus if you had the parts around him and clearly there was slippage with him, that would be different. But You cannot say definitively that
6: you saw these things when you don't have those pieces around. Eli's behind Mitchell Trubisky, C.J. Beathard, and Trevor Stemian in yards per attempt. Mm -hmm. He's averaging 185 yards a game, passing in his last seven games. And you remember the last time we saw him play, not this past Sunday, but the week before. Mm -hmm. 113 yards, under 50% completion. And you tell me he deserves to start, Skip? Now. I ain't, about, I ain't about the sympathy. I will give Eli kudos for this. He understands the streak has to mean something. But for me to go out there and play the first half, when I know you're gonna come get me in the second half, just to keep the streak alive, that's demeaning. It is, and to his credit, he he's said right. No. And this is the most emotional I've ever seen me Eli too. Manning. Yep. He's played bad in some games, he's played great. Skip, I've never seen this kind of emotion. Because obviously it means something to him. Now, I don't think he was ever gonna catch Brett Favre. I mean, he'd have to start every year, every season, for nineteen straight, two ten to two ninety seven straight. Yeah. So. so that's another four. That's another five. Basically, another almost five years, Skip. Yeah. Don't that's think another, so. No. 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 So, but it, in the NFL, you must update your resume, Skip. You don't get to live forever on winning two Super Bowls and being Super Bowl MVP and beating Tom Brady because after he won that last Super Bowl, Skip, last year was the first year he was going to the playoffs. So you don't—you got to keep updating that resume. You don't get the rest on your laurels. Yep. So no, the Giants didn't disrespect him. Yep. He's been disrespecting the Giants organization and their fan base with the way he's been playing. So they owe him nothing. They've compensated him fairly for what he's done. But Eli is not playing well. He doesn't warrant starting. My only issue is who they're going to to replace him. Mm -hmm. If you went with Davis Webb, I got no problem with it. I just do not believe Geno Smith is the answer for the New York Giants. Mm -hmm. But I have no problem with them sitting Eli Manning down. I will offer kudos, Skip, because he said no. The streak means something to me, but not enough for me
7: to go in there just to keep it alive, and y'all pull me in the second half. Mm. Quick point before I get to the question on Davis Webb. I watched him summit Cal last year, going back a year. And remember, he started at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. He went back and forth with Baker Mayfield, who was at Texas Tech, and they vied for the job, and, mm-hmm. and he actually beat out Baker Mayfield. Right. Then he lost his job to Patrick Mahal. So he's been in competition with right. high-level quarterbacks, right. goes to Cal, he throws 37 touchdown passes to 12 interceptions, and he's 6'5", 225, so he's prototype, you know, drop-back yeah. pocket passer. So I, I'm curious. I want to see. I just yeah. want to see. Okay, now back to Eli yesterday. I must admit, as I watched— that video it was real to me and we had Eli on the show and it was the first time I've ever a- actually been in his presence mm-hmm. and I must admit I liked him mm-hmm. I think he's a really good guy yes sometimes I've wondered if he really knows where he is because he's kind of bliss- <laughs> blissfully naive like what just happened did I just start touching because yeah. he grew up with royalty you know it's just it came so easily to him but yesterday those were real tears yeah. welling in his eye and I I had sympathy for him because that streak meant a lot to him. And being the New York football Giants quarterback meant a whole lot to him. Correct. And you know what? He carried that mantle with class and dignity and off the field. He was – he was Derek Jeter-esque. I, I got to yes. give it to him. He was involved in that thing last year where he was said to be part of that fraudulent memorabilia yes. scam. Then he said, I don't have any knowledge of this. I don't know what to believe. But Peyton had a couple of off-field blemishes that, that were much worse. And yeah, Peyton is the guy with the charisma. He's telegenic. They both did Saturday Night Live. The but commercials but, and yeah, but, Saturday but, Night Live. Hey, yeah. yeah, but Peyton just takes over yes. the camera. He's yeah. funny. He's witty. He's clever. And And... Eli has always been a little bit in his shadow. But now back to what happens on the football field. I, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again times 10 today. The most baffling, perplexing, hard-to-figure quarterback I've ever closely observed is this guy, Eli Manning. Right. Every time I say he's no, he's no, because he can be great in flashes. Right. In big moments, he can be... Really bad for long stretches. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, who is he? Well, in the end, he's kind of a little better Joe Flacco. That's that's really what he yeah. is. And we talked yesterday about Joe Flacco yes. in the postseason is real what is he? Ten and 10, five. Ten and five in the post Twenty-five and ten touch in interceptions. And does have a Super Bowl victory. Right. And Eli's obviously got two, but if you look at Eli's playoff record, it's eight and four. Why is it eight? because he had two miracle runs where they just got crazy hot yep. the second time when they were seven and seven finished nine and seven won yep. the last two mm-hmm. and then go on the road i thought well they won the first one home but they they win four in a row mm-hmm. so he's eight and four so that means four other times eli made the playoffs one right. and done really so eli's overall record in the national football league Including the two and nine this year is one ten to one hundred. So he's just barely above five hundred as a starting quarterback all these years for the cornerstone giants of the National Football League. And for most of his career skip wow. he's been slightly above average.
1: So those were comments from Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman from first taking Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless from Undisputed. And I just want to touch upon obviously what Max Kellerman said and what Shannon Sharp said because I agree with both of those guys wholeheartedly, and again, you know, I think that the Giants, they went about doing it the wrong way, but they made the right decision and, you know, benching Eli, but it was the wrong decision because they started Geno Smith. So you get ahead, Matt, Mike, you give your opinions on that as well.
2: Well, you know, it's funny because I I was actually listening to Max, I was actually going to touch on this too. You know, Max is wrong for a second, you know, talking about Jeter. You, You benched Jeter because he potentially cost you Uh, A playoff uh, berth with how bad he was. Well, the reason he wasn't benched is because Hal Steinbrenner told Joe Girardi and Brian Cashman that year, under no circumstance was he to be benched, was he to be dropped in the lineup. They were not going to allow the front office, they were not going to allow the coaching staff to diminish what this guy has meant to to the franchise for, for 20 years. Um, you know, so I get it. And, and, and I, I understand the logic in football. It's a little different. They play less games. But Hal Steinbrenner understood what, what, what Jeter meant and, and you know, what, what dropping him and benching and that black guy. He was not going to do that. And I think that's what separates him from John Mara. Now, we always say the Giants are this classy organization. Well, Wellington Mara was, was, was the epitome of class. We don't know that John Mara is the epitome of class, right? You're talking about John uh, Josh Brown's situation last year where they decided to play, you know, that, that winning games and having a top-notch kicker was more important than, you know, and hiding the fact that this guy was beating his wife. And, you know, we've seen a lot, you know, allowing all this Odell Beckham stuff. And we, we've seen him bend the wrong way and allowing, you know, things to take place for the sake of winning. So, you know, with Max, I, I kind of disagree there. You don't. Uh, put a black eye on this legend for the fact, you know, to start Geno Smith. Now, as Sh- as Shannon Sharp is going, I've I've been beating that drum for a long time. Um, when I say that Eli Manning is overrated, uh, I get a lot of pushback from fans. But think about this: Eli Manning has been a quarterback for 13 years of the new year. You know, 13 years, right? Giants, 12 years or 13 years. Um, no, he, I believe it's-
1: He's only 10 games above 500. He's 110 and 100.
2: Okay, so yeah, but that's exactly what I'm saying. He's he's only 10 games above 500 uh, as a quarterback of the New York Giants. He's never won a playoff game outside of the Super Bowl runs. So I can understand what, what Shannon Sharp is saying. Every time you say that to a Giant fan, they're like, well, how many Super Bowls do the Jets have? Well, that's not the argument here. The argument is, do you have the best possible quarterback on the field at all times? Because the last time I checked, it, 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 you 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 want to believe that the Giants have a Super Bowl running them? Everyone always says, "Oh well, if they could get on a hot streak." Well, these teams are different every year. You have a different team. You don't have the same pass rush. You don't have the same. You don't have the same anything. The Giants don't have linebackers on this team, so they don't have an offensive line. So you know, for me, I'm like, I, I I'm okay with benching him because I don't think Eli is elite. Yeah, I think playing in New York and having success Super Bowls in New York have kind of lent the idea that he's uh, some form of a a Hall of Fame. I think maybe he's on a... uh, you know, he's one of those maybe maybe in, maybe out guys, but I don't think he's a surefire Hall of Famer. So, uh, you know, he's a legend in New York because he won two Super Bowls. Uh, Phil Simms isn't in, in, in the uh, Hall of Fame. He won two Super Bowls as a New York Giants quarterback. So I, I don't disagree with Shannon Sharp there either, man.
1: Listen, man, Mike, I'm a Giants fan. And I get into arguments with other Giants fans about Eli Manning all the time, as I completely agree with you. I don't think Eli Manning is an elite quarterback I also say Or I also get into disagreements Where you rank quarterbacks Top 5, top 10, whatever Eli Manning has never Cracked my top 10 Of quarterbacks in the NFL Over the last 6 or 7 years Every time I have this disagreement With other New York Giant fans Two Super Bowls is what Every Giant fan goes back to Except for this Giant fan So what, Trent Dilfer won a damn Super Bowl, he was garbage And we can probably name some other quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls, man, Mike That weren't great quarterbacks overall Okay, he had a couple years where he threw for over 4,000 yards You know, but he also had one year where he almost threw 30 interceptions You know, so, with that being said, Eli Manning has always been an enigma I've never been a big fan of his, but I respect the fact that he's worked hard and he's gone out and he's took a beating and he's given us as New York Giant fans two Super Bowl wins. But like Shannon Sharp said, reality is reality. And, you know, you know, at at some point you can't rest your current situation on what you've done in the past. Eli Manning is in a decline. I don't know if he's going to go somewhere else and resurrect his career. I can see him being in Denver, I can see him being in Jacksonville, and maybe that might be the best situation for him at this particular point in time. And if I'm the Giants, I'll listen, and maybe I'll take a second and third round, or a third and fourth round, or a third and fifth round, or something. Get something for Eli Manning while you can. The Giants have given this man and made him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL at one point, Matt Mike. So they've shown their appreciation for Eli Manning as a quarterback for this organization and what he's done. And, again, I'm not saying that this is the – you know, I'm not saying – you know, I, I totally agree with the move. I just think that the Giants completely dropped the ball and went about doing it the wrong way. So that's my take on it. Um, You know, at some yes. point, they're going to have to make him inactive if you want to get a look at Geno Smith and – um. You know, Davis Webb, you can't have three active quarterbacks, not with all the injuries that the Giants have been sustaining over the last couple of weeks. So you need as many positional players, you know, outside of the quarterback position and uniform as you could get. So at some point, the Giants may have to make Eli Manning inactive, man, Mike. And just to kind of piggyback off of Geno Smith, you know, I know you said Geno Smith um, was pretty bad in yesterday's game, but I'm going to say that he was a terrible man, Mike. You know, so we can say whatever we think of the decision to start him yesterday. But, you know, he suffered two costly sacked fumbles. You know, and, you know, he he did give a pretty good account of himself. He did complete 21 of 34 passes, man, Mike, for 212 yards. He threw a touchdown pass, and he got the Giants in the end zone twice, which is more than what I could say for Eli Manning over the last couple weeks. And that might be unfair to say, but the bottom line is, is that he did put up more points, you know, in yesterday's game than the Giants have, you know, in the last couple of weeks or whatever I could be Yeah, no,
2: nah, I hear you. But no, no, I want you to think about something. I want you to think here. The Oakland Raiders are are statistically ranked worse in defense than the San Francisco 49ers. So I I want you to think about that. They they purposely played Geno this week because they knew it would be easier for him to look good because they were playing one of the worst defenses in the NFL. That's number one. Um, As far as how they handled the situation. Uh, the the benching, uh, you, you know, you just can't have Ben McAdoo do it. You, you, this guy's spiteful. You, you know, he's had it out for Eli Manning all year since, since the since the, the, the combine when he said, well, he's got to learn to play in a muddy pocket. Uh, when he when he called him out after the, the, the first game of the year, saying that some of that pressure wasn't because of the offensive line, some of that pass rush, the pressure he was feeling was because of his own play. And then when he called him out against Detroit on Monday Night Football. So th- there's been a pattern. Of, of what he's been doing when he was asked about geno smith after yesterday's game he said geno did enough good things to warrant another start we have to go back and look at the tape to see what happened on those turnovers it's funny to me that you would cut uh geno smith slack but not eli manning so i have a problem there now it, 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 davis webb he, he when is he supposed to play he he was he wasn't even taking the snaps this, uh, last week in practice. So you got to think about something. He's been inactive all year because he's been listed as the third string quarterback. The third, third string quarterback he does not practice. People people don't pay attention to that. That's one of the issues that the Jets had uh, with their young QBs. The number three quarterback doesn't practice. So what development is is he is he sustaining or even progressing with? Yeah. Uh, so this week, all of a sudden, Eli Manning. Um, you you want him you you want Davis Webb to kind of start progressing now, but because Eli Manning is still listed as your backup, Davis Webb is not getting the practice reps. See, that's the mistake the Giants are making. And now, what if Geno Smith goes out and gets hurt? Now all of a sudden Eli Manning is back in the game. That's the ultimate black eye. Once you decided to bench him, you need to put him you you need to place him as inactive. There has to be no chance that Eli Manning is going to play. Take off the pads. You're going in the hoodie, and that's all there is to it. I mean, and that, that just because that, that's what I'm saying. The Giants did not think this all the way through. They did not see the magnitude of this decision. They did not see the backlash of this decision. It was it was just it wasn't well thought out. And, you know, uh, yesterday you had the reports in the morning. Yesterday morning you wake up and, and the reports are out from South Palantonio that Eli Manning sources close to Eli Manning. Have said that he is going to tell the Giants at the end of the season that he wants to move on. He does not want to return to the Giants, and it's funny that you know at about ten o'clock, uh, you know yesterday morning, an hour or so after after the Eli reports come out, you hear the reports that the Giants were planning to fire Ben McAdoo as early as today. So nobody knows what's going on. And then I'm gonna one last thing on on Geno Smith for you. He showed you how immature he still is. He's watching the NFL countdown on ESPN, and he he chooses to call out Rex Ryan, who said that he never wanted Geno Smith as his quarterback. We all knew this. Rex Ryan wanted Tyrod Taylor as his quarterback for the New York Jets. He didn't want to start Geno Smith. He wanted to bench Geno Smith. That was John Idzik's call. Which is why the front office in New York for the New York Jets has now been changed from the coach reporting to the GM to the coach reporting to the ownership to prevent things like that from ever happening again. So Geno calls him out. He calls him a coward. He continues to take shots at him. That's him showing you his immaturity. Nobody in the New York Giants organization cares about Rex Ryan. You know who cares about Rex Ryan? Geno Smith. Why? Because Geno Smith cares about himself. He's still immature he's still the same guy he didn't even realize the magnitude of the situation this week and said yeah this team supports me as a starting quarterback no man next question that's the answer next question you stepped on eli manning's toes this week and you showed us once again why you don't belong in the spotlight not in new york
1: well i i definitely agree with you and that's why this whole thing is going to be a disaster if the Giants don't per se give Davis Webb a shot and they stick, and it's going to be even more of a disaster if Geno Smith finishes the season out and the Giants never look at, they never get a chance to see Davis Webb. So think about that as well. They've created themselves a big time situation. Um, there were a couple plays obviously that I, that you know Geno Smith was able to maneuver and escape out of the out of the pocket. You know, get a couple yards. Where if Eli Manning was back there, let's face it, Eli Manning would have been sacked. So, you know, there was a few times that his legs did buy him, you know, a few yards or some positivity on certain plays. But you are right with Geno Smith immaturity. I'm surprised he beat out Josh Johnson. It was apples and oranges with, with the two when it came down to who was going to make the team. But, you know, the Giants need to make, you know, right of this situation and they need to do it real soon. As this is going to get ugly before it even gets prettier, man, Mike. So, obviously, there's so much more that we could continue to talk about this. I'm pretty sure we'll touch on this some more next week. You know, the Giants have uh, the Dallas Cowboys this coming week. Who do the Jets have, man, Mike?
2: Um, I don't even know right now. I couldn't even tell you.
1: Hold on. Give me one uh, that- second, listeners. I'll tell you who the Jets have this week. The, new, the Giants got the Cowboys and the Jets got the Broncos. So that's another winnable game for the Jets. But every time I see here on this show and I say the Jets have a winnable game, they turn around and lose. So I'm not even going to jinx this. I'm going to say the Jets are just going to get their behinds kicked, you know, against the Denver Broncos, and maybe they'll win. But real quick, before we come to a close, man, Mike, I'm going to go over the rest of the scores in NFL for Week 13. The Dallas Cowboys beat the Redskins. The Jets beat the Chiefs, 38-31. The New England Patriots beat the Buffalo Bills, 23-3. The Dolphins beat the Broncos, 35-9. The San Francisco 49ers got their second win of the season, Matt. Mike, they beat the Chicago Bears, 15-14. The Ravens beat the Lions, 44-20, as Matthew Stafford hurt his hand. Uh, The Minnesota Vikings beat the Falcons, 14-9. The Packers beat the Buccaneers, 26-20. The Titans beat the Texans, 24-13. The Jacksonville Jaguars continue to roll. They beat the Colts, 30-10. The Chargers are back in the thick of things. They beat the Cleveland Browns, 19-10. The Rams continue to do their thing as they beat the Cardinals, 32-16. The Raiders beat the Giants, 24-17. The Saints beat the Panthers, 31-21, to 21, and tonight's Monday night game is the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Man Mike, you got anything to add before we close the show out?
2: No, no, I'm good. Just eager to uh, get through another giant circus of a week.
1: Oh, man, and with that being said, listeners, we would like to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to continue to support me and the Mad Mike in the show because without you guys, there's no us. I want to thank Joe Rivera, sports columnist from the Sporting News, for taking time out of his schedule to talk about the new Yankees hire. We want to thank our producer, Ayo Omar Baker, for being a man and supporting us and keeping this thing going. I want to thank the Mad Mike for taking time out of his schedule to do the show. So, guys, please, we'll see you in seven days. Have a safe and blessed week. And until then, Let's roll,
6: baby. All
0: right, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the conclusion of this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Show. Once again, I just want to say thank y'all for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you for sharing and helping to grow the audience of this show. Much appreciated. As always, brand new episodes drop every single Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check out lloydatompson.com. Make sure you don't miss anything and follow along on Instagram, on Twitter, at lloydatompson. That's it. Enjoy your week. Stay safe. Peace.